0: I could have said, like a husband without his wife, <laughs> because that's the way I feel pretty lost this morning, uh, with Diane being gone, so have compassion on me, you can see me bumping into stuff uh, this week, that Diane's gone, but certainly uh, it's good for to be back here, I want to uh, certainly express my appreciation to Oscar and Henley and Ken and Charles, who uh, did such a great job filling in uh, with the teaching while I was away, and Diane and I were away, um, it's good to be back, I just wish I would, we were all back but that the Lord really will happen soon and the prayer will be good in it's procedure to tomorrow uh, just a few more just for just a few moments we're going to discuss uh, some passages that uh, in Philippians chapter 4 that follow along with our theme in looking through the book of Philippians uh, and talking about uh, Christ living in us and that to live is Christ um, have you heard the story about uh, the, uh, the mother who lifted a car to save her child If you've heard a story like that, there's been several over the years that have come come to attention, and maybe you've seen on the news. In Colorado, in 1995, a police officer arrived at a single-car accident uh, where a car had ended up on top of a baby girl sunk into the mud, and the officer lifted the car and pulled the mother and the girl out for safety. Uh, In 2009, a man in Kansas lifted a Mercury sedan off of a six-year-old girl who had been trapped underneath, in fact, over the top of her. In 1960, a Florida mom lifted a Chevy Impala so that the neighbor could pull out her son who had become trapped when he was working on the car and his jacket collapsed. There's even the the news story uh, in 1988, the helicopter that Magnum P.I., they used in the filming of Magnum P.I., crashed and pinned the pilot underneath in shallow water. And uh, one of the uh, bystanders came by and lifted up the, the helicopter and pulled the man out to safety. These kind of stories are fascinating. From the standpoint that what they happen, we recognize uh, that's not what that would normal, normal, a person would normally be able to do. How could a mother lift a whole car? How could she lift that up and drag the person out? How could these people exhibit such enormous strength uh, in this moment of anxiety and the moment of terror? Uh, there are a lot of stories that suggest that individuals, human beings, can exhibit extraordinary physical strength in times of great stress. It's called hysterical strain the terminology that's used to describe it. And when scientists ask, or people ask, how is that possible? Uh, the most common uh, explanation of that is the human body exerts adrenaline in times of stress, which does a lot of things to the physical body <laughs> to provide for not only the ability of the muscles to be more focused on what's going on, but the, uh, the changing of the heart rate and the breathing, and that uh, in those moments then, the physical body, the human body, responds by focusing the strength where it needs to go to get the job done. And so adrenaline, many times, is the most common explanation of how people exter- exhibit this extraordinary strength. I recently read a study, Penn State University study, on this very aspect of human strength, that where the professor was, did a study on the aspect, uh, along the lines of individuals being able to lift enormous weights, particularly weightlifting, go into the gym and train for the ability to lift great weights. Uh, and the study concluded that the average person exhibits full physical strength, uh, is full physical strength at least in three different numbers or three different uh, ways to calculate the aspect of a person's ability to lift up. One, the highest number is what the study called your absolute strength. And that's the ability that you would have physically to lift something before everything would break. Like a piece of chain would have a particular load limit and if you you exceed that load limit, it's gonna break. There's nothing gonna keep that from happening. And so the, the bones and the muscles and the tendons in your body have a certain absolute strength. We never reach that absolute strength and that's the aspect of this particular number because the bones and the muscle fibers would not be able to take it. And in the process of lifting something, your body stops you before you get to that particular point. The lowest number that the study came up with is called maximal strength, and this is the maximum you can lift in a conscious effort in a controlled environment, such as in the gym, you go in and you're going to lift something up. Uh, the study concluded that the maximal strength of most ordinary people is about 66% of their absolute strength, or about two-thirds. So if, you're, if, if you could lift, if 300 pounds was your absolute limit, uh, then you could lift about 200 pounds, uh, and that would be the maximal length that you could lift in a particular environment, trying with conscious effort to do it. The, those who train for the purpose of lifting, and I suppose that was part of the study, can raise that to about 88%, 80 to 88%. By training in the gym, they can make themselves lift more than the conscious effort would ne- their body necessarily would tell them to lift. Of course, some of them get hurt doing all of that, but the idea that you train, you're able to raise that up, close that gap. Most intriguing number of the study with a number that sort of lays between the maximal strength and the absolute strength. When the body goes into a competitive mode, that what you lift in the gym, what you're able to lift in the gym, may be less than what the body lifter could lift if he was actually in competition, that when he's in that moment, when everyone's expecting him to do it, when everyone is cheering him on, when there is this aspect of a, a, an emotional response that takes place, researchers found that athletes can reach as high as 92% of their absolute strength in those moments. And I think about that. I, I wonder why, you know, I, we went to dive and I went to watch uh, my grandson run in a race, uh, um, uh, Long distance race, marathon, whatever they call them, cross country. And as the kids approached, of course, they were, they were spread out over time. As the kid approached, we waited for our grandson to come. We stayed there by the, by the, by the finish line, and as these kids came by, there were people on the sides screaming at them. Yeah. Hysterically screaming, like, go, go, come on, run, run harder, run harder, come on, come on. on. It's those poor kids. <laughs> they're doing all they can. They've been running all day long, and now these people were standing there cheering, cheer, screaming at them to run harder. Then I thought about this statistic that bear, statistics bear out that if a person seems like they're at the last, they can't do any more, they can't take another step. If somebody screams at them, and encourages them, that the emotional element of it causes them to go ahead and run faster. Many of them did. Run faster at the end, and they'd run through the whole race because people were cheering them on, because there was a there was a goal ahead of them. And they were striving on. And so they were reaching toward their absolute strength. The Apostle Paul found himself in a lot of circumstances that required strength, enormous spiritual strength. When he was able to accomplish the things that he accomplished, where did that strength come from? In the midst of a crisis, how did that strength come to him? Well, he tells us in Philippians chapter 4. And so we're going to talk about that, but I want you to think about this in terms of looking at the passage we're going to study, how spiritually strong is. I'm not talking about physical strength to be able to live in a physical way, but there's a, there are different kinds of strengths. How strong are you spiritually? You might have a number in mind, or from the standpoint of your spiritual strength, you might have an event or what you could take, or you look at an event and say, I don't know if I could go through that. If my wife died, or if I found out that my children had cancer, or something that happened to me, if, if I lost my job, would I be able to handle it? It might bring those questions to our mind, and whether or not we We're strong enough to deal with certain circumstances, but sometimes the conclusions that we would come to in that is that we really don't know until we face it. That the circumstances alone would reveal to us, really, how strong we are. Paul found himself in those kind of circumstances. We're looking at it from the outside and we're thinking, how could he possibly say those things and take that approach? How could he possibly look at things that way and endure such circumstances? What well, we find that he was stronger than we thought he would be. Or maybe in the reality of it, he was actually stronger than he thought he could be in the circumstances themselves. Our study this month focuses on Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Where the Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ever seen this verse before? If you go to some kind of athletic competition over a period of time, you're going to see This verse. I've seen it many times in officiating baseball, that you see it on <coughs> athletic jerseys, you see it on locker room doors, you see it maybe tattooed on people's arms, on hats, in athletic competition. I remember one time was, I was uh, officiating a ball game and a young boy came up the bat and he had it written on his back, Philippians 13. I could do all things, and, cry and, and I thought, oh boy, here we go. What's going to happen here if <laughs> you're really believed that Jesus was going to give him the strength to get a hit, and here I am. I'm the umpire. He took one on the outside corner and struck out. And I wondered about that. From the standpoint of what he thought about me sending him back back to the locker room, had God failed him? Did Jesus fail him? If he was really relying upon being able to be successful in this athletic competition, and he pulled a verse right out of the scriptures, he'd read it himself maybe and knew where the verse was, he wrote it down, put it on his back, if that's what he's relying upon, and I sent him back to the dugout. Does that mean he can't really do all things through Christ? Or does it mean that he really wasn't interpreting that passage correctly? That's not really what God was talking about in Philippians 4. I believe sometimes. When those things we find written on the faces of athletes in competition may display a fundamental misunderstanding and misinterpretation of the apostles' words here. Not that God doesn't care whether or not a person gets a hit in a particular circumstance or scores a touchdown. But the idea that God will provide me strength in the circumstances of life goes much deeper than that. And in the life of Paul, certainly that's what's in view. And so there are a lot of people who take this verse out of context. And in that sense, they sabotage their full, better understanding of it and they many times you see are, they shortchange themselves of understanding what God really wants and what God really wants for me there's much more than success in life and it come to be used I think as a tool where God is viewed as a genie in a bottle that it, God's going to give me what I want because I can do anything through Christ or that faith is about human success because I can do anything because God strengthens me to do anything that I want to do and that's really not what the passage is teaching at all. The term I can do in this passage comes from a word that means to be powerful to have resources or to prevail. It's used to describe the demon-possessed man in Acts chapter 19 when he jumped on the seven sons of Stephen and overpowered them, ran them off. It's used as well in James chapter 5 when James says that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much his power. So it had to do in its usage both with physical power and with spiritual power but certainly what it focuses on is the idea that someone who, who falls into this category is able to accomplish things, to get things done, actually bring them to an accomplishment. So Paul is teaching that I can do, that God gives me the ability to do. But he says in the context that what he's learned is that God gives him the ability to do all things. Well, how am I to interpret that? Is this all things everything? Could it include this aspect of human success that I can become a successful businessman, that I can grow my business, that I can do anything because Christ is going to give me the strength to do that? Well, as with so many passages, and I suppose every passage in the Bible, we need to carefully look at the context, particularly when you see the word all or every, It's a signal to look at the context. because Most of the time, if not all the time in Scripture, that particular terminology is modified in some regards. It certainly needs to be focused in the text in which it's found, in the context. What are the things that Paul was talking about, the all things? In verse 11 and 12, if we look at the context, Paul's talking about the fact that he's able to be content in all the things that have happened in his life. I have learned to be content in whatever state I am. I know how to be a base. I know how to abound. Everything and in all and in all things, I have learned both to be full and be hungry, both to abound and to suffer me. He uses the term all things in the very verse before this. And he's not talking about everything that happens in his life. He's not talking about athletic competition or, or being successful in business. He's talking about the things, the circumstances that come to life Comes in life by which he is either elevated or he is humiliated, and in all of those things he has learned to be satisfied with God, learned to be content. So when we think about what is, the, what are the things that Paul's talking about, what is the doing that's under consideration, the doing that Paul's talking about in this context that required strength was being able to be content in every circumstance of life. Now we've studied about contentment earlier, we recognized when we studied that how challenging of thing that is for a disciple, that whether he things are going good or things are going bad, that he is thankful to God and he's satisfied with the gifts that God provides. That's an enormous challenge and takes a great deal of spiritual strength, particularly in our world, to be a content person. What Paul's saying in this context is that I've learned to be that kind of person because Jesus has strengthened me <clears throat> over a period of time. He has strengthened me so that I can do those things, so that I can be content. In all things. So it would appear by looking at the context that the all things of verse 13 is modified contextually, I believe, to refer to the things that God expected of Paul, to the spiritual things that he was to uh, attain, to the varied circumstances that Paul was expected to endure, that God was allowing to come into his life when he didn't have anything, when he had a lot. What would be his perspective on that? What would be his outlook and his approach to those things? Would he be satisfied? Paul says, I've learned to be satisfied because God has given me the strength to do that. So Paul could do everything that God expected him to do in any particular circumstance. How? Not through his own strength, but through the fact that God would strengthened him. Or he'd be strengthened through Jesus. Today's English version of this passage I think is is insightful. It translates the passage as, I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. And that's a pretty good rendition of what the context is really pointing to. I have the ability to face all conditions because Christ gives me the strength and the power to accomplish that. And that's the focus of this passage and what I want to spend the rest of our time is this aspect of source of our strength. We are strengthened through Christ. You see, Paul realized even at the very end of his life, after all these things came upon him, that when it came right down to it, Christ did all the heavy lifting. He'd experienced a great deal of things in his life, but it was not his strength that had caused him to be able to endure. It was not his strength that gave him the ability to do the right thing at the right time. Extending not only to the aspect of his contentment in varied physical circumstances, but the effective ministry that he'd been engaged in, the ability to teach others and to be successful in teaching others, to have the credentials of an apostle and to live out the credentials of an apostle through suffering. All of that took place, Paul recognized, because Christ was there. And Christ provided for him. Every true Christian comes to realize something about themselves. They come to realize their extensive weakness. We come to realize that we are subsequently, as being individuals in this world, living even for God. We are subsequently impotent. To be able to handle the things of life without God. And so Paul came to recognize that. The ability to do the things that God would give him to do came from God. So God gives him the job and then God gives him the ability to accomplish the job. Jesus taught this very same thing, I believe, to his disciples on the very night in which he was betrayed. In In John chapter 15... We're familiar with these passages. The night before his death, he said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's pretty powerful language coming from Jesus as getting ready to send his apostles out to do a job. He certainly had spent some time qualifying them for that job. In seeing the miracles that he'd done and teaching them the truth and explaining them about the kingdom and teaching them in parables, providing for them even insight into what they would face when they went out there. And yet at the end, when it's getting ready to transpire, when Jesus is going to leave them and send them out, he comes to them and says, you can't do anything without me. But you're leaving, Jesus. But then the promise comes, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, notice that Jesus' words are not just a promise, but they're also a command. Because before he says, apart from me, you can do nothing, and before Paul says, in Christ I can do all things, Jesus said, abide in me. And so he says, abide in me. And then he says, unless you abide in me, and he who abides in me. You see, he's describing a certain person. He's not describing every person, that every person can do anything in Christ, Or even that God will, in this context, be with everyone. But that he would be with everyone, and he would be able to accomplish God's purposes if they abided in him. Jesus' ability then to do God's work, the ability that Paul had to do God's work, and the ability that I would have, and you would have to do God's work, is dependent. It's dependent on whether or not we abide in Jesus. It depends on the context of whether or not Jesus abides in us. That this intimate, close relationship here is the source of our strength. And that's what Jesus is pointing out to them. Now this abiding in Jesus and Jesus abiding in me is not some mystical experience. It's not you see some feel that I have as God with me. But rather it's the activity of obedient trust and faith in Him. The abiding in Jesus means just what it sounds like. It means staying with Jesus when you have a temptation to go someplace else. That you remain with Him. And that's what Paul was doing in the prison in Rome or in Caesarea, or wherever he might have been when he wrote Philippi. When he was in prison, what was he doing? He was remaining with Jesus. There was a temptation to abandon Jesus, to give him up because he was suffering, to denounce Jesus, to take another route in life, to give up on his apostleship. But what Jesus was doing in that prison is he was staying with Jesus. What Paul was doing in that prison, he was staying with Jesus. He was remaining with him, abiding in him, choosing to remain with Christ, And his words, no matter what, gave Paul what? It gave him strength. As long as you abide in me, you don't abandon me, then you can do things. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So the idea here that Paul could do all things through Christ who strengthened him pointed to the choice that Paul had made and continued to make. And when he made that choice, God provided the strength. I want you to notice this. It tells us not only when Christ provides strength to his disciples, but also tells us how. That he provides strength to his disciples in the process of their choice to obey him and to submit to him. Consider Paul's prayer on behalf of the Ephesians, Christians in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner person, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, and know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a powerful prayer. Paul praying that the Ephesian individuals, the Ephesian Christians, would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner person. Praying for spiritual strength. Don't let that go unnoticed. We're not as strong as we need to be. That's the place where we need to start. Talk about that in a moment. But that's what Paul's doing. He's praying that Ephesians would be strong enough to do the things that God would give them to do. Where would they get that strength? Well, obviously, they'd get it from God, and that's why Paul's praying it. But notice how they get it. The text says that God grants it. And the word grant there is the word didomi, me, which means to give or bestow. It means to bring forth or deliver up. It carries the connotation that I have something that belongs to me, and I'm going to give it to you. You know, you, you, you go apply for a grant. That means they're going to give you the money. It means you don't have to pay it back. That the government has money, and they're going to dispense it out to you. They're going to give it to you. And so the idea of that Paul prays that God would grant strength to the Christian is that God would give it to them not going to earn it, but it's going to be a gift, but he's going to provide it for them because it belongs to him first initially. So God grants spiritual strength, and he grants it to us in the inner man through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit. That through his spirit, he would strengthen our spirit. Now again, that's not describing some mystical or mysterious happening or experience. It's not that all of a sudden I've got the ability to do things I couldn't do before. The Spirit of God influences and strengthens my spirit through the activity of the Spirit in the words of God. If I want to be strong, I have to abide in Christ. I have to submit to him and remain with him. I have to make a choice to stay with Jesus. And that submission is the key to this aspect, you see, of the strength that Jesus would provide. Another way for us to see this as far as how he would grant us this this particular strength may be seen in Paul's relationship and word to the young evangelist, Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul told Timothy, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul goes on to tell Timothy that bad times are coming, and things are tough and people are going to not endure, sound doctrine, they're going to turn away, and you need to be strong. You need to be prepared for the things that are to come. But when Paul commanded Timothy to be strong in the grace that's in Christ, he wasn't telling him to go to the gym. He wasn't talking about physical strength. How could Timothy obey this command? How is it that you and I could obey the command to be stronger in God? Notice the next verse. In the very next verse, Paul says, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The necessity of spiritual strength for Timothy and for those of the church that he would teach and lead had a single source, and that was Jesus Christ. And the avenue through which Jesus was strengthened, both Timothy and the disciples, came through the activity of teaching. Now, the idea of teaching, of learning what God says and imparting it to others, of learning it for ourselves and putting it into our lives, is the heart of the work of God. It's how God accomplishes purposes. This whole idea that God does it mystically in some ways that we can't explain, and that somehow God's going to do for us things that we couldn't do for ourselves, and if the Spirit would just be upon us, He would save us, All of that's a misinterpretation of the way that God accomplishes work and the way the Spirit works. And I know this because of the command that Paul gave to Timothy on how it would be accomplished in his own life. Earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul warned Timothy of a great coming apostasy. The Spirit expressly says in latter times, Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And so he says there's bad times coming. Well, how is he going to prepare for that? Well, he says, teach him the truth. Verse 6, if you instruct the bread these things, you'll be a good minister. If you're nourished in the words of faith and a doctrine which you carefully follow. He goes on in verse 11 and says, these things command and teach. Let no one despise your use, but be an example to believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. So bad times are coming and we need spiritual strength to be able to, to, to endure. How will God give us the strength to do that? At the heart of that question is the idea of teaching. Christians that don't strive to learn. Christians that don't make a part of their life to teach their children and teach others about Christ. Churches that give off on the activity of going into the word of God and learning what God has to say. Are ill prepared for the things that are come. They'll become spiritual weaklings. And vulnerable to everything that Satan can bring upon them. Paul understood that. He told Timothy, you need to teach. In Acts chapter 2. Look tells the early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Why? Because they needed to abide in Jesus and so Jesus had given his word to the apostles and said they continued in that doctrine in order to stay and remain with Jesus. Well, what would keep remaining with Jesus? Well, look what happened to that church. In Acts chapter three and four, the apostles are arrested. In Acts chapter seven, Stephen is put to death, and great persecution comes upon the church. And Satan raises his ugly hand against the inauguration of the Spirit of God among God's people. And how did the church do? Well, they grew, and then they grew some more, and they grew some more. How did that initially that initial infant band of God's disciples be strong and takes the time of such great peril? Where did they get that strength to lift that great weight? They got it from Jesus. That's where they got it. And they got it because they continued with him. They abided with him. They stayed with him. They continued steadfastly in the words of Jesus. The constant emphasis on teaching and learning was a key element of the church's strength at very difficult times. It still is. And so Acts chapter 20 and verse 27 through 28 Paul told the the elders at Ephesus, I have not not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And so Paul says, Paul tells the church at Ephesus, the elders of the church at Ephesus, I gave you everything God gave me. I gave it all to you, and you need to shepherd the flock of God. When you think about the ultimate... The purpose of that. That Paul taught these elders so that they could feed the church. To what purpose and to what end? What would be the result of the shepherds feeding the flock? On verse 32 he says, So now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. Paul says, The reason you need to feed the church and the reason I fed you is so that you be built up and made strong. And so there's aspect of receiving spiritual strength again is tied to the aspect of the teaching of the Word of God. I don't know if there's any greater illustration of the spiritual strength coming from the Word of God through the Spirit of God than Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus personally faced temptations of Satan, God strengthened Jesus to face that battle in the wilderness of Judea. And each temptation of Satan was answered by the very words of the Father contained in Scripture. Jesus went back and quoted scripture to Satan. Why? Because that was the source of the strength of the answer that he was giving. It's not just a matter of saying no. It's a matter of saying no because God says no. And this is the reason why. Because this is what God says. And I think that's an important aspect of the strength that we find in our life. So the strength that God provides comes through our willingness to hide God's word in our hearts, as David says, that we might not sin against him, to incline our ear to his commandments, To apply our minds earnestly to the knowledge of his will. Spiritual power is not a mark of some special class of Christians. It's not something that comes just to those you see who are in positions of leadership. I have seen some of the greatest spiritual strength exhibited by individuals that, uh, in in terms of uh, congregation, took very little part or no part at all in the public aspect of the work of that church. They weren't church leaders, but they were strong Christians. Without fail, strengthening not only themselves but others, and that comes as a result because they were partakers of the spiritual food of God, and they exercised themselves unto the godliness, and they provided for the opportunity for God to make them strong in very difficult circumstances. So the importance of this is not just intellectual, but absolutely practical. The more I study the Word of God, the more I place emphasis on what God would would have me to do. The less emphasis I'll have to place upon human philosophy and Dale Carnegie courses and self-esteem workshops and family life seminars and all the things out there that people think strengthen individuals that face the trials of life. It's not modern psychology that strengthens me for the moment. It's the words of Jesus contained in Scripture. Two other things as we close. Two other necessary elements. One is prayer. We mentioned this before. Paul prayed for the spiritual strength of the Ephesians. In 138 Psalm, And that day when I cried out, you answered me, and made me bold with strength in my soul you want strength to face those troubling times and the things that are ahead of you and the things that you don't know about, maybe even the strength that others need, we need to pray. Jesus said in the of a model of prayer pray to God, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then there's also this aspect of suffering. God strengthened me through exercise, through experience of life. So that Paul learned to be content because he did without, because he experienced these things and The human experience provided the arena for which he would learn that God would take care of Now, suffering alone doesn't necessarily make us stronger. Sometimes people suffer and they get bitter and they get weaker. But suffering for righteousness, for the sake of doing what is right and doing what God would have me to do, God is always there to strengthen me. He's always there to provide encouragement to me through his word that I'm doing the right thing and to learn dependent trust and reliance upon him. So suffering for righteousness does strengthen us creates patience. Patience creates hope. If we trust in His grace, and we wait. Isaiah chapter 40, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah said, God gives strength. Probably one of the greatest examples of that: 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul talks about the fact that God provided for him the opportunity to suffer in what he called a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh. He asked God three times to take it away, but God did not take it away. And what Paul learned from that is the, is the very profound truth that my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul learned that real strength comes, not from pulling up my own bootstraps and gritting my teeth, but from depending and waiting on God in patience and reliance upon him. That those things that the world considers to be weak are the avenues to which God expresses his his real strength. So, as we mentioned earlier, how strong are you spiritually? Well, there's a sense in which we might not know until we're tested by the circumstances of life. And I suppose there's some encouragement to that to me to know that I don't know how strong I'll be. I'll have to wait and see. But the more encouraging thing about my about the spiritual strength as I relate it to myself is I realize there is an absolute strength, isn't there? Just like we talked about before. There's things that come upon him, uh, upon a people physically that would break them. I can't lift that. If I tried or if I could put my, all my efforts into it, it'd break my bones and my muscles to try to lift that. But Jesus has no absolute limit. He has no absolute limit. His hand is not short, but he cannot save. He has been tested in all ways, like we are tested, yet without sin. He has endured every weight that can be placed upon him, yet remains strong. And Jesus says, That's the strength I give to you. The ability to do all things that God wants us to do, and the strength to do it comes from God Himself. Now, what we have to do is abide in Him, and that's the key. If you're not in Jesus Christ, the promise that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you it means very little. But if you abide in Jesus, then it means everything. It means that you'll be able to live a life tempted in all ways, but God will always provide a way of escape. He will not allow you to be tempted about what you're able to bear. He'll provide for you the way to deal with all the circumstances of life. And the promise that life is to come will be based upon not your own efforts, but the effort that Jesus exhibited in your behalf on Calvary. We come through faith and depend upon it for your own salvation. Repent of your sins and be buried in water for you. the remission of your sins and you can become a Christian. Maybe we can help you do that this morning. Let's dance.